Hello and welcome to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I'm chatting with Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler from the Standing Stone Historical Society of Monterey. Thank you all so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Caroline. Standing Stone Day is coming up October 8th. Yep. So we're going to dive into all things Monterey today. Are y'all both from Monterey? I am. I am not. Where are you from, Rafferty? I'm from Upper East Tennessee, a town called Kingsport. So how'd you wind up in Monterey? It's a long story. (laughs) Bullet points? College and then first job and eventually just kind of landed me up on the mountain. Been there for about five years now. So you moved there as a young adult? Absolutely. And Rebecca, you grew up in Monterey. Yes, I'm a plateau girl through and through. A plateau girl. (laughs) And your whole family's there as well? Yeah. And how are they? Loud. (laughs) (laughs) I I am stunned. I hear you. (laughs) So we're just carrying on the old tradition here. So my dad's parents were from there, grandparents, great-grandparents. They were all, everybody was around there. And born and raised there. I was born in the house I was raised in. And I was the fourth of five kids, the middle girl. So... I had to have a big mouth. Oh yeah, you gotta that. you gotta get attention. <laughs> right. And Rafferty, what was it like for you to move to Monterey as a young adult, as an outsider? What were your first impressions? Uh, to be honest, it I was attracted to Monterey. Uh, I was invited up on a Saturday. I was living in Allgood at the time, and really had never spent a lot of time in Monterey. But I went up one Saturday and spent spent a good day going to different. I guess, well-known spots in Monterey, B-Rock, Meadow Creek, and kind of fell in love with it. And I think one of the reasons why is um, I tell everyone all the time, it reminded me of the home I kind of grew up in uh, with my grandparents. I mean, I didn't grow up with my grandparents, but spent a lot of time. They had a farm out in a place called Fall Branch in Upper East Tennessee. And this uh, Monterey really reminded me of Fall Branch. Every time I, I leave Monterey now, and then I come back, whether it's for a weekend or a few days, as soon as I come back, I, you know, I get that homey feeling that I had at my grandparents' house every time I would arrive. And so that's really what's attracted me up to Monterey. I, you know, I was from the mountains, Upper East Tennessee is, you know, the heart of the Appalachian. The mountains were calling me. That's what I tell folks. And so uh, I like to be a little bit higher up. And that's what you get in Monterey. Were you living up in Monterey and then working here at News Talk? I was just for about three years. Were you covering things up in Monterey or did they send you everywhere? No, I was. Uh, In fact, uh, the reason I got invited up on that weekend to come check out Monterey and spend some time up there was through a relationship that I developed by covering those town meetings. And I'm forever grateful for that uh, because it's really what led me up there. Rebecca, you work in media as well. You're a journalist. (laughs) Yes, I am. You're at the Crossville Chronicle. Yes. So how did you wind up there? Got married, and he had two kids. I had two kids, and then we were expecting our mutual fifth. He works in Knoxville. So what happened was is I had to get him as close to Knoxville without falling off the plateau. Right. I wanted to stay on the plateau. <laughs> so that's how we got in Crossville. Then uh, after a while, I started freelancing for the Chronicle and covering stuff for them. And then Monterey guy that was working at the Chronicle, I, I freelanced for him. And he graduated with my brother. Of course, everybody knows everybody up here. So that's of just course. the way it is. <laughs> and uh, so he's like, come freelance for me and all this stuff. And then at that time, Monterey didn't have a newspaper 
and everybody was like, Hey, isn't this what you do? Isn't, you know, can you start a paper for us and all this stuff? And I mulled it over for about a year and it's just something I couldn't, I couldn't dismiss. It is something I really wanted to do. So in 2014, I started the Standing Stone Scribe and it's named for Standing Stone. It's not affiliated with the Historical Society necessarily, but it is an homage. It's a little tip of the hat to how Monterey was called Standing Stone before it was incorporated in 1893. So starting the newspaper, what we were wanting to do or what I was envisioning, it's a community paper. And yes, hard news is necessary. we got to keep people accountable and let everybody know what's going on and how the money's being spent and, you know, who's doing what and where to go if there's an issue with anything going on with the city. But the other thing was is, what are you going to put in your scrapbooks? It, I mean, where are your baby's faces going to be? You know, when it's special like that, you put it in print. That's the thing. And when I started, um, I went to tech for journalism. And when I started, they were like, oh, everybody told me that print is dead. Print is dead because I was at the height of Internet and e-zines and all these things were coming out. <laughs> and I'm like, I still like to hold paper. I still like to touch paper. I want hardback books. You know, I like permanence of that something tangible and tactile right that you can flip through exactly you can refer to it later and you know and show people years down the road it just kind of cements where we came from what we're doing right now and where we're going so the whole thing is bridged with ink and that's what i like about it did you always want to be a writer or work in journalism i have been journaling since i was a kid like just old enough to hold a pencil so it was a natural thing for me to continue to do that. If I didn't do this for my career, I would be writing in my journals anyway. So, and honestly, I didn't even think about it as a job <laughs> until I it got was a hobby. Until I got to college. <laughs> so, that's kind of how that went. And you've both been so involved in local news coverage. Why is it so important, especially when, as you said, print is dying and more local papers are either going out of business or they're getting bought? Hmm. How does the local press, the local news coverage, whether online or in a newspaper, serve our communities? I think part of it is there's accountability, especially in smaller communities. Don't get a lot of news coverage sometimes. I think we're fortunate here in Cookville area, the Herald Citizen does a really good job. Occasionally you get the Nashville television stations that will focus in on, you know, maybe some of the bigger stories, but there's these outlying, um, the smaller stories that need to be told, but then there's the accountability side of it. Um, You know, things sometimes want to get swept under the rug and they shouldn't. And so when you've got local news stations or small local papers, there's, you know, that account accountability part, the need to tell those stories and maybe they shouldn't get swept under the rug so much. I think that's a big part of it. But in general, I think everyone, um, especially in the small rural communities, needs some sort of platform to tell stories and to share news. And I think that's why what Rebecca does with the Standing Stone Scribe so important. You know, for the longest time, Monterey did have that, you know, standalone Monterey-focused newspaper then that went away, and then Rebecca started up what she's doing, and that's really important, and it's important to people in Monterey. You know, sometimes we feel left out, 
That's just the facts. I mean, we do. And then there's that independent flair within the town that people are proud of. And so having that paper that really focuses on Monterey and just Monterey, there's a sense of pride that comes with that. So that's a big part of it, too. How can people support the Standing Stone Scribe? First of all, by submitting. Like, I can't make it to everything. I really do try, and I want things to be covered. Um, Sometimes I just can't with working full-time at the Chronicle and covering for them, too, it's it's a little difficult. So if there's an event that I can't make it, send it in. I want to see pictures. I want tell me the story. I'll I'll do what I can with it. It really is so important to feature those things, these small moments, because they're actually big moments, especially when they're kids. And, you know, the grandparents love it and they eat it up. My grandmother would always cut my picture out of the paper and send it to me. My aunt did the same thing. Yeah. I get something in the mail and it was also oh, you're in the paper today and it's it's just it's still that special. Digital is necessary, it's needed, but it is also temporary. If I have a digital file that is important, I'm going to print it off in real paper and real ink anyway. <laughs> so, it's just it's something to keep forever and it's something to be commemorated and memorialized like yeah this was a special time in my life and it was shared with everybody and it just makes it make sense too because like I said I'm I'm about the hard news and stuff is all necessary but my favorite part is the features I want pictures of puppy dogs I want the rainbows (laughs) I want the I want the kids to feel like they had had their day you know and that's that's part of that community pride and getting people talking and communicating and yes we're having an event and you know all that stuff it just makes it's the buzz of the community it's what everybody circles around and that communication is fostered with the news outlets it's not just the news it's the culture and that's what people are going to look back on as well speaking of culture yeah <laughs> <laughs> look at that pivot yeah rafferty can you tell us what your role is as the cultural administrator in Monterey? Um, it's it's sort of a broad job description. The title's a strange one. You don't really hear that very often. And it's kind of, I know when it was first created, it started out as something. Then the job title was updated. And then now it's just kind of morphed into you do what we tell you type deal, which is fine. I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's, you know, I deal with parks and recreation. I manage the um, Depot Museum in Monterey. I'm, I'm been here lately encouraged to focus more on like the relationships between businesses and the town of Monterey. And so I've been trying to find out ways to kind of bridge those gaps and to be a better assistance to our, to our local business owners, small business owners, and even, you know, our larger businesses like Purdue and Cumberland Container. That's a big part of it as well. And then working with the schools in Monterey, um, that was something I sat down with uh, the mayor not long ago and really wanted to start working more closely with the schools up there. We're a tight-knit community. You're 16 miles away from everyone else in Putnam County, and so we like to stick together. And so building relationships has been a big part of my job, uh, just trying to make sure everyone works together, has what they need. It's a job that there's something different every single day, and I think that's what I like most about it. Um, I've always got to have something, you know, it can't be routine. I'm not big into routines. And so this job, one day I could be at the farmer's market. The next day could be a trail out at Meadow Creek or, you know, uh, somebody rock climbing out at B-Rock. 
Um, then it could be an event in the middle of Commercial Avenue, Standing Stone Day for one of them. It's, it's a strange job, but it's the best job I've ever had in my entire life. Probably I, that I ever will have. More with Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler of the Standing Stone Historical Society right after the break. What's so important about shopping with locally owned businesses? When you shop local, your hard-earned dollars stay here in the community, helping to benefit your friends and neighbors, local schools, roads, and all aspects of community life. But what happens to my money if I spend it online or at a national chain store? In most cases, the profits go far away, out of state, corporate headquarters, or even overseas. It doesn't take any extra effort to shop local. Office Mart on South Jefferson and Cookville is your locally owned office furniture and supply store. For over 35 years, they've been proud to serve businesses in the Upper Cumberland with quality and value. You get real customer service, too. And unlike shopping online, you can actually see and try out the large inventory of office furniture in their showroom. And when it's delivered, it's not a box on your step. They're glad to install and set up everything. Office Mart. There's no other locally owned office store in the region. South Jefferson Avenue across from Hardee's. Shop local at Office Mart. Hello and welcome back to Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore and today I'm chatting with Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler from the Standing Stone Historical Society of Monterey. Thank you all so much for coming in. Glad to be here. (laughs) Standing Stone Day is coming up on October 8th, which has quite the history that a lot of people, including myself, don't really know a lot about. Rebecca, can you walk us through the history of Standing Stone? Because... I don't really know much about it, despite being from Cookville slash Allgood. I do not know much about Monterey or Standing Stone. Can you enlighten us? Yes. So there was a dog-shaped monolith on Old Walton Road. That's the old wagon trail, right? Um, And it was there dating back prehistoric times. And that is where our Cherokee heritage comes from. And it was on the corner of the community on the western edge of the plateau. Right between, um, like where now it sits, it's uh, Highway 84 and Woodcliffe Road. Right there where the railroad is. In 1893, Monterey was incorporated and became Monterey. And it was referred to as Standing Stone. If you go back in census records all the way you know, past you know, 1830, 1840, 1850, all that, it is enumerated Standing Stone, Tennessee. So in 1893, it was incorporated. The railroad was coming through. And the monolith that was shaped like a dog facing west with its ears up was blasted to make for the railroad right away. And the big shards of the stone went everywhere. So the Narragansett tribe, number 25, came along and took the bigger of the last two big boulders that was left of the monolith. And they built this pedestal in the middle of Whitaker Park, right beside the library. And they put the last remaining shard of the stone on top. And that's the crown jewel of the monument. And they dedicated it in 1895. So that year, they held the first ever Standing Stone Day. There was 3,000 people, state dignitaries, everybody came. The natives, everybody came to celebrate and commemorate and dedicate and bring everybody together as one people, one blood, one goal. And there was a unification there. Years passed. Stories were lost. And 
the folklore started to evolve as the children weren't being taught what the monument meant. So Dr. Opalus Walker, um, he's my great uncle and my godfather. He um, also was a professor at Tech. He uh, was fascinated with the history of it. And he he would tell stories about how his mother, my great-grandmother, well, she would tell him stories. And he didn't really understand why the, there was a monument there or what it meant or the markings meant. So he started studying. He started researching. And he figured out and went through all the newspapers and found out that there was this huge dedication and that the story had been lost. So he uncovered the mystery of the stone, 1979. My uncle, my granddad, my great uncle, they all got together and asked the mayor to make a proclamation that we're going to have Standing Stone Day be the holiday of Monterey. It's the only holiday of its kind. And it's, it's super special because I don't know anybody else that has a their own holiday in their towns. I mean, it's just super, super unique. So it's set for the second Thursday in October to commemorate the very first one that they had. And but it, it is it is observed on the second Saturday in October because I can't get off work on Thursdays. Right. <laughs> right. Out of convenience. It, it does help to to celebrate it on a, on the Saturday, but it's always the second Saturday in October. And that's what it does. It it tells people the story that was lost for so many years. And so for 43 years, we've been telling that story. Hearing you talk about all these things just reminds me that there's so much we don't know about our own area. So many things that happened in our own backyard. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I'm chatting with Rebecca Beeler and Rafferty Cleary from the Standing Stone Historic Society. Standing Stone Day is coming up on Saturday, October 8th in Monterey. But before we dive into the festivities, I want to dive more into the history. So you mentioned that Standing Stone used to be a monolith shaped like a dog, but was it naturally shaped like a dog or was a dog carved out of the stone? I think that it had been carved. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's been been disputed a little right. bit, but more than likely carved. You know, I've seen where um, when when the white men came into the area, they may have had the tools that were capable of carving it in such a, I guess, uh, apparent dog-like structure. But there's all kinds of different stories that I've yeah. read on how it got to be shaped that way. How big was the rock? I mean, if it had to be blasted, I'm just trying to somewhat gauge. 16 feet tall. That's the estimate, yeah. 16 feet. Okay. Yeah. And it was the railroad that blasted it. Yeah. Did people protest this blast? Did people even know it was going to happen or was it sprung on the community? Because I can imagine this would be quite upsetting to many people. Yeah, so I've heard um, local historian Mr. Dale Welch in Monterey tells a story. I think it was Mr. Moscript or Moscript who actually laid out the town of Monterey. He was kind of the designer of the town, and he was one of the decision makers that said, I'm going to blow this rock up. And when it happened, there was kind of an uproar over it being done, but we talked about the importance of newspapers earlier. Well, news spread a lot slower at that time, and nothing ever came from it. But there was some disagreements and some some concern about the fact that, hey, you blew up this really important uh, part of our history here on Standing Stone. Just 
didn't carry much weight as it would today. You know, could you imagine someone who went and wanted to take down the Standing Stone Monument in Monterey? Mm-hmm. It'd probably be a huge, uh, <laughs> you know, uproar, and it probably right. wouldn't happen no. because of the coverage. Also, how did the name Monterey come into the mix? We do not have a history of Spanish settlement, and it's quite different from Standing Stone. How did that come about? So Moscrip and General Wilder and some of the older gentlemen that congregated in town and bought up a lot of the property and stuff, they got together and decided it should be called Monterey, means king of the mountain. So interestingly enough, as as we talk about that, we can at least, I think, Rebecca can walk us through how to say Standing Stone Day in Cherokee, which has kind of been a neat thing for uh, the society and Standing Stone Day. It's on all the shirts that we uh, that we make up for each each year. So help us out here. So you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, if you're Appalachian American, it's going to sound like Niyakataki, but that's not how you say it. It's Niyakadoka'i. Okay, say it again. Nah, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gadoka e, gadoka e. Okay, I'm gonna try it by myself. Nah, yeah, gadoka e. Personal best. I gotta rehearse it a little more. So, nah, yeah, gadoka e means the stone that is standing or standing stone. And what's Iga ho- is day. What's hello? Ocio. Yeah. But if you're like candid, you say co. Are y'all able to go into schools and teach the students these things? I'm actually working on a little bit of curriculum so that we can share a little more. But we do have an essay and art contest that got judged today. So I'm really, really excited. We publish them in the newspaper. We publish them in our magazine that the Standing Stone Historical Society puts out every year. And um, these kids are incredible. And so they do get some of that history put in there because their teachers are facilitating that as an assignment And then they get to enter the contest. So it's really, really neat. If there are any educators listening right now and they wanted to invite y'all into the schools, how would they go about that? Just email. Email uh, standingstoneday at gmail.com. More with Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler right after the break. Uli Halisti. Well done. Or welcome back. In Cherokee, Rebecca just taught me this. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I'm chatting with Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler from the Standing Stone Historical Society of Monterey, and they are attempting to teach me some Cherokee this morning. Rebecca, how did you learn Cherokee, and did it come naturally to you? Literally just studying, because here's how that, okay, yeah, you're right, there's a story. Okay, <laughs> going to tell you the story really quickly. When the Europeans would hear the Cherokee words, they would hear all of the hard consonants and put their Appalachian twang on it just a little bit. So, like, it sounded to them like the Cherokee were saying Niyakataki when they were talking about standing stone. That's not what they were saying. And I was looking at the syllabary, and there were no like symbols or letters or anything in the Cherokee syllabary for those actual sounds that we had grown up saying Niyakataki. There were no symbols for that. And I didn't understand. So about three or four years ago, I started looking into it and I had to consider what they were hearing versus what was actually being said to, to someone who's not used to hearing the Cherokee language. So just a lot of, a lot of studying 
good amount of conjugating verbs, which is a whole other thing. Of <laughs> so hard. to translate it, I finally figured out that it was similar enough that that's what they were hearing, but that's not what was being said. So we figured out what the symbols were and then started, like Rafferty said, put it on the shirt. So when you see the Cherokee symbols over our advertisements and things like that, that is how you write standing stone in Cherokee syllabary. Isn't that how Tennessee got its name? The Cherokee word wasn't Tennessee. It was Tennessee. Yeah. Well, actually, Tansy Resort in Crossville, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be Tennessee, and somebody misspelled it. Are you using Duolingo or any of those apps to learn Cherokee? Because sadly, we did not learn it in school, even though that was the language that was spoken here that our state is named after a language and a culture that many people in the area descend from. There are actually tutorials. And if you go on YouTube, there is the Cherokee word of the day with Donetta. I love her. And she, you just learn these phrases and I write them down and trace out the syllables. And so you just pick up some. You are part of the Standing Stone Historical Society. Your president. Yes. Can y'all tell us a little bit about what the Historical Society does? So like I said, my great uncle, uncle Dr. Hop, he basically started this with the whole Standing Stone Day and getting it instated as a holiday in Monterey. So my granddad, Kali Bahannon, he's a descendant. My fifth great grandmother was full blood Cherokee. She married a European. So it's my heritage. And he brought us up telling the stories and folklore was super strong and history was super strong. His sister would take me to the library and study how to do genealogy. So it all ties in together. And I mean, I was raised going to old cemeteries and things like that. So he was in the historical society well before I was, but he passed away in 2004. And when he passed away, they weren't going to have a standing stone day that year. I'd called other members of the society. Are we going to have standing stone day? And they said, no, we can't do it without him. And I said, we're going to. And they said, okay. And I said, no, we're gonna. So we had T-shirts made up, and we went ahead and we did the book, and we did everything, and it has been going ever since. But I didn't want a repeat of history where the stories were lost. So to keep the historical society up, I just volunteered, and we had a celebration that year, and it kept it going. And here we are with the Standing Stone Historical Society. Rafferty, how did you get involved? So I, I got involved through I, my job with the city, but also the, the society is made up of different organizations, civic organizations in the town. I happen to be a member of the Garden Club, and so I was appointed as their club member to be on the Standing Stone Historical Society. I love that so much. What, the fact that I'm in the Garden Club? Or yes. what? <laughs> but that, no, the smile on your face when you say, I'm a member of the Garden Club. Hey, I'm happy. It's, that's I'm, a beautiful I'm, thing. I mean, I have plenty of planting areas at the house, and so these ladies have to teach me something, or I'm just <laughs> wasting all kinds of great planting opportunities. But that's not what we're talking about, though. <laughs> that's how I got involved. And how often does the Historical Society meet? Once a month, unless there's a special called meeting where we're like, we need one more meeting. And there's a couple months in the, in the winter where we don't, right? because it's just like it ends, so there's like a break. Yeah. You know, we, just we have maybe, Standing Sunday in October. And then we have our final meeting of the year, and then we don't come back until February. Yeah. Mostly because there's actually snow in Monterey, 
Yes, y'all get us out of school. You're welcome, Cookville. (laughs) Shout out to Monterey for getting me out of school all those years. I really do owe y'all. I'm Caroline Moore, and today I am chatting with Rebecca Beeler and Rafferty Cleary from the Standing Stone Historical Society. Standing Stone Day is coming up on Saturday, October 8th, and it is quite an operation. You've got presentations, vendors, musical acts. How do you even begin to organize this? There's a different theme, and then from there, the, the book's always been a huge part. That's one thing we haven't even hit on is the Standing Stone Day book. It's a big thing. Mm-hmm. People collect them. Yes. They may not even come to the actual day, but they'll come get their book yep. just so they can say, you know, I've got this year's Standing Stone Day book. So that's a big part, planning what's in it and what goes into that. That's, that's a lengthy part of the planning process. What goes into the Standing Stone book? What makes it so special? It's like a magazine. Okay. And it's put out by the society. And we have advertisers and local stories from people who used to live in the area or still live in the area or their grandparents are there. And so it's it's kind of, it's it's a very large collaboration of what's going on now and why we are still doing this. So we try to put the history back in and and then... Bring everybody current. If I mean, it can have any manner of railroad stories are always welcome for yeah. the Standing Stone yeah. booklet. I mean, the whole history of the town is just focused on that. Can you walk us through the events or this year's schedule at Standing Stone Day, which is this Saturday, October 8th in Monterey? Well, I mean, it's it doesn't change much and hasn't changed much. I mean, there's the parade that kind of kicks everything off. There's always the craft vendors and the food vendors that are going to be there. I think we're doing it a little differently this year where our vendors are going to be in the street along commercial Avenue in front of the actual standing stone. And then there's always the native American ceremony, the laying of the wreath. And Rebecca can go into that before. I know your time is short, but can go into the laying of the wreath and the past couple of years, we've incorporated some type of music towards towards the end of the actual day. And so this year, it's uh, Caleb and Leanne, which is a popular group here locally that's going to be doing our music for us. Um, but the the ceremony part of it, that's the most important part of Standing Stone Day, um, the laying of the wreath. And I think Rebecca can really give you the details and the importance that, that's behind that. So the monument itself is a lighthouse-shaped pedestal on top of which the last remaining shard of the monolith sits. And it's shaped like a lighthouse to be a beacon of hope and unification. Each rock in the lighthouse is different, that we're all different. But the mortar between the rocks is red, that we're all one race, we're one human blood, we're all supposed to be a part of this together. The laying of the wreath, and the tomahawk are part of the ceremony. And what the wreath is, the, the complete circle. And it's made of corn shucks, and it's got the, the Indian corn. And it's symbolic in a way that the history is eternal. And what we do with it is the only way it will go forward. So the wheel of truth there exists. So you lay it down on the base of the stone. And then... Where people can come together in peace and harmony and celebration of each other and the history and the future together, 
they that's where you get the laying of the tomahawk at the base of the stone and that's where we get the old adage burying the hatchet because in times of peace the tribes would bury a hatchet symbolically so we do that by laying the tomahawk on the on the base of the stone and that leads up to what we tagged the native american presentation it's just native dances and uh there was a flutist last year i assume we'll have that this year and there's just different significance of each dance. The chicken dance is one that people oh, are most familiar it's with. It's so great. Every year, it's uh, quite the spectacle. And the, the cool thing about this is the community gets involved. So it's just not you're just watching the, the these dances take place. The community's, you know, asked to get involved in this. And mm-hmm. so you see some folks you know around town who... I like a good circle dance. Yeah, dance a little bit in a circle, but also you didn't think they could move that way. You find out a lot lot about people on Standing Sunday. And how many people are y'all expecting? Are you basically expecting the entire town of Monterey? Everybody. Everybody we know. (laughs) It's hard to say. It's the place to see and be seen. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. On, On that, on the second Saturday in October, absolutely. Every year. And what time do festivities start? Eight o'clock. And where? Everywhere? This will all be centered around the Monterey Branch Library, which is where the Standing Stone Monument is. Commercial Avenue going east from that location over towards Whitaker Park. And uh, Whitaker Park is kind of across the street from the um, Monterey Community Center and then adjacent to the Monterey Senior Citizen Center. So or that area 401 Monterey. East Commercial Avenue yeah. is basically where it's at. Yeah, It sounds very accessible, and there's plenty of parking, right? Yes. And people can bring their kids, yeah. come hungry. Oh, come hungry. Okay, there's yes, going to be absolutely. plenty of food, right? And bring right? all the children's. Yeah. Yes. Rafferty Cleary and Rebecca Beeler, thank you so much for coming in to talk about the Standing Stone Historical Society, the history of Monterey, and Standing Stone Day, which is coming up this Saturday, October 8th. The events start at 8 a.m. You don't want to miss it up in Monterey. And if you want to support and follow Rebecca's publication on all things Monterey, subscribe to the Standing Stone Scribe. You can also find her work in the Crossville Chronicle. Thank you so much for joining us on Local Matters. I'm Caroline Moore.